Hello, hello, hello. My name is Robert Hagen. And I'm Kay Tuxford. And this is Screenwriting from the Trenches, a podcast about the craft and expression of screenwriting in all of its lovely forms from the perspective of writers just like you. This week... It's also episode 88. <laughs> oh, it's 88. You're right. Yeah. Thank okay. you, Kate Tuxford. Yeah. So what are we talking about this week? We're talking about the perils of writing act two, as I was giving you my sexy voice. But before we get into that, we usually talk about what screenwriting Twitter is a Twitter about. But in solidarity with the WGA, until the strike is over, we shall be referring to this segment as the strike corner. Take it away, Zach. It's just another day in screenwriting drama, screenwriting drama, screenwriting drama. It's just another day in screenwriting drama. It's another day in screenwriting drama. And we're back. So here's something. <laughs> this is something that I got into with Janet. Let me get her 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 handle right, so I don't I don't I don't get it right. Uh, J. E. Swainton. At Unicorn, at Unicorn Films LTD, yes. Janet Swainton, she is a lovely person. And, and a Canuck, was, yeah. Yeah, I was having some conversations with her this week. I slid into her DMs. She slid into my DMs before. And so she's a very nice person. And we were talking about what we were working on, and I asked her what's cooking. And I <laughs> just... I was thinking that's such a great thing for us to do. I, I, and, I, and I have a platform, so I'm going to do it. Screenwriters, when you're out there and, and folks ask, like, what are you doing? You'd be like, hey, what's going on? What you got cooking? What's cooking? I think that should be our thing. I think I'll, I'll, if there's a trend, I want to start it. I said so on Twitter, and I'll reiterate it here. So what's cooking? What do you think about that, Kate Tuxford? Well, I think we can try it out here. Like, Rob... What's cooking? What's cooking? Oh, I don't know. I got, I'm trying to, I think I'm trying to figure out what's my next project. I think you are too. You're trying to figure out what's cooking. We're both searching for a recipe. I found my recipe. This oh, that's right. Cooking. That's right. You, you got, you've got Fifi cooking. You've got Fifi yes. cooking. Yeah. But we'll talk about that later. Okay. Cool. Yeah, 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 All right. Yeah. Well, then it, we, we've used it yep. in, a, in a sentence. So now it's real. Yep. It is. It's a, it's a, it's a so screenwriters, that's our thing. They can't take it away from us what's cooking. Speaking of screenwriters, they're waking the fuck up. And it's lovely to see. It's it's so yeah. it's so fun for me to see it personally. It's to watch these folks sort of realizing like and, and it's funny because it's happening on the picket lines and then coming yeah. into Twitter. And screenwriters are talking to each other, which is something that we don't do. Because so much of this is such a solitary journey, uh, especially if you write features. Yeah. And I think a lot of us are out there writing spec features and, you know, or just being pre-WGA. You know what I mean? There's a lot of us out there who, who are, aren't, who aren't, who are removed from the things, but we're getting together. The strike has brought us together across the country, literally across the country in different places. We're on the picket yeah, lines. We're talking to each other. They're striking in Chicago. I heard mm -hmm. they're doing Georgia now and New York. New York, yeah. L.A. And uh, Albuquerque, of course. They're yeah. you know they're it's where it's happening. We're striking, and so as we're getting together and 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 having these these conversations, 
people are starting to share stories with one another, of course, the stories are going to be very much the same. They're going to be, we're having the same experiences out there. It's not just, it's not us, it's all of us. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so as we're starting to do that, you're starting, you're starting to come over online. It's like, I don't want to do things like open writing assignments. I don't want to go out for <laughs> OWAs. I don't want to go out. I don't want to do if come deals. What are you seeing out there, Kate Oxford? Well, I think this is kind of like this happens a lot with open writing assignments, but this also just happens in general way too much, which is there's all this prep work that happens before while you pitch the drafts that you owe that's done for free. This is done right. in the feature world. This is even done in the TV world. Mm -hmm. Basically, you're sitting there and doing all this free work. And in general, people just don't want to do all this free work. And it happens big time with open writing assignments, but it does permeate everywhere. Yep. Uh, for open writing assignments, you have to produce all this material just to like go up for consideration and then maybe get the deal. Usually for an open writing assignment, you're competing with other folk. And so you have to have your pitch deck, you have to have your take, you have to have sometimes an outline or at least a synopsis and a treatment, you know. And so well, not just that, because a lot of these things now, because of the way that people are coming up, especially with the advent of AI, you know, now it's like you got to make up fake posters and, and, and do all kinds of multimedia graphic design work. And if and a lot of us are like, we're, we're writers, we're not graphic designers. But you got to have stuff, you know, people want stuff and, and to, to have visuals in order to, you know, differentiate yourself. Because like you said, you're in competition for these open writing assignments. And so the more that you can, the more of a visual take that you can give for your take, your particular take in your shot at getting this OWA, then the, the, the best you get. But then it turns from one pitch, turns into three pitches. And you're, you're, you're doing, you're pitching, pitching and pitching and pitching for months, if not yeah. years. Yeah. There's been have, stories have of, been, of years. Have you ever done an OWA? No, I haven't. But the, the type of pitching that I have done this type of pitching where I remember when we were trying to sell BBD, when it was in contention for being a television show, I literally wrote the entire first season of that show. I wrote the yeah. whole first fucking season. And I did, you helped me with the, the pitch document. I had oh, this yeah. whole big ass pitch document. Remember that shit? There I, was this. I do. <laughs> the front cover page is a, a lady's butt. And, yeah, uh, yeah. There was, it's it still was... saved on my canvas somewhere. So I'm <laughs> scroll along. I'm like, hi, ma'am. I know. There was like, oh, we went through, Kate Tuxler and I remember we were trying to find the right butt for this, this, this poster that we were trying to do. And we went through like so many butts. It was like a lot, a lot of butts between the two Rob of us. That was hilarious. sent me a Dropbox full of butts. <laughs> That's what I remember. He's like, here's the link. And it was just. Which one of, of these butts. butts is the right butt? And then we got on a chat and like looked at every picture and we're like, no, nah, this isn't the right angle. This one is. <laughs> This one, it was all about angle because we were putting right, writing on right, the right, 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 right. Yeah. Because it was a lot, yeah, because of writing yeah, we were I'm, trying to do. I'm a body positive person. That all the butts were lovely butts. No, right? they were, they were, they were lovely, they were lovely butts, but they, we, we were trying to find the right position and the right angle. So yeah. there was a, it was all about that. But it was, you know, that, that's, and I was lucky that I had Kate Tuxford who has, you know, Canva and has, you know, the certain skills and you've been able to help me a lot in that respect over the years, but I, you know, I'm not, cause I'm not that person. I don't, I can't, 
I don't have that ability in me. It's not, it's not one of my things. I just, yeah. You know? And, and I, that's something like a secondary skill I developed and I've been working on for a long time for all of my like pitch decks and any projects and, and um, investor decks and stuff, but it is not something I think most writers sit there and go, yay. Okay. Perfect. I know how to do set layout, but I actually have some art, art and color training miles compared to a professional but I can at least go, oh, these, you know, these colors make this pop or this font is right. a shitty font. No, you know, I, I have a graphic designer friend and I can be like, is this font hip anymore? And they'd be like, no. Oh, I think you know, I have so fonts. I, I'm very much a font guy. I remember I have yeah. like, like the font for Wagner's Roost is, is killer. It's so great. It's fun. It's, it's a nice font. Yeah. And so I I was just, you know, that's sort of, I, I can get down on that, but like, yeah, but we're talking on a deck. Yeah. It's a whole deck. You know what I mean? Yeah. You got to write that, the, the here, the why this, why now, blah, 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 blah. And there was like that kind of stuff, that kind of work. Cause that was a lot of work. And it's, it is a lot of work and, and it takes, it takes hours and hours and hours. Yeah. And you're also generating all this copy editing content yeah, and, and pictures. You got to get on stuff like shot deck and have, images and comps and things mm -hmm. like that and it's got to look totally the same color etc etc so yeah it's it is a lot of work right and the um, pitching of that and the pitching of that whole thing was 18 months of, yeah. of me writing that whole thing like from the from starting from the top from the start of the option by yeah. that point i had already written 165 pages so yeah. from the start of that option and then from knowing that and then going in to write eight episodes of a 10 episode of a 10 episode season in addition to all of that over 18 months that was a lot of free work and people are starting to wake up to like maybe this isn't the best system to for that <laughs> maybe we shouldn't do this crap you know what i mean it's just it's not cool and so i'm glad i'm glad that writers are starting to wake up to the fact that they don't want to do these things anymore. They don't want to be about these things anymore. And this is what the strike should be focused on. And in addition to the, what the things that we're already trying to, like, I think people are hoping that things are going to be very different post strike, that the writing environment is going to be very different. Yeah. And I think, I think it's setting that kind of standard. I personally, like other thing I want to throw on there is shopping agreements. Mm, um, 100%. I'm, not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not on board because basically you're committing your script to them. Even if it's not exclusive, you are giving them rights to it. They're usually shopping agreement is paying nothing. And then usually the biggest problem is they're like, yay, we're going to shop it. We'll tell you where we shop it. And then silence, you know, you don't know where it went or where it right. goes, the communication drops off. And then you, you know, so it's for me, I'm just like, no, you don't have enough. You don't have enough uh, skin in the game. No, and um, shopping agreements are probably the most unscrupulous of option contracts because yeah, they'll come out and they have all sorts of weird hidden language in there. They'll try to steal your copyright in the shopping agreement with no money, with no money yeah. at all. Haven't gotten the thing. They'll be like, oh, yeah. Let's do that. And then like all of a sudden your copyright is included in there in, in the whatever exclusivity that they want. And it was just like, whoa, when did you how are you trying to get that in the shopping agreement before you give me one piece of money? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? I'm, I'm done with that. I'm done with, like you said, I'm done with the shopping agreements. So, yeah, I and I think I think the other thing is there's a, and this is something just in the world of like clauses to look out is like in a shopping agreement, they also have something called a sunset clause often in there. And the idea is after the shopping agreement lapses, let's say it was for nine months and it lapses, usually it's like for a year, sometimes two, that if you go back to the companies they went to, 
with the material, they and and that gets picked up, they are automatically signed on as producers. Right, right. That, that and, I've heard that one as well. Yeah, it's a fucker of a clause. Because then you have and, somebody, if you do get somebody to sign on, they're automatically attached. And then this other, the new person who came on who wants to make your thing, like, I don't want to work with this person. I don't want to share with that guy. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing the work. And, and it, you know, in the turnover rate sometimes in this town, like, you could be talking to two completely different people at mm -hmm. the same company. Or, like I said, if they don't communicate which companies they went to, it, you know, you don't know if you're stepping over that clause until all of a sudden oh we have a deal soon and then oh no we this already came in you know so it's right like there was a regime change and the person who you're now working with has a, a good relationship with the folks who just came in and so yeah. it's a, a new project to them they haven't been pitched it before and they yeah. like it because they like the person that you're now working with but that yeah. but since they're at the, the same studio now you're stuck with that one guy like you know yeah, exactly. So, so there's there's always things to look out for. But yeah, I think I think OWAs, if come deals, are probably the the hardest things that that we're protesting against, and just rework in general. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I think it's at the end of the day, like, what other business do people work for free and just hope to get paid? Yeah, one hundred percent. So the thing, speaking of things that are going up in smoke. Um, oh yes. <laughs> Damon Lindelof. Smoke monsters. Smoke monster. <laughs> if you were anywhere near Twitter, you caught wind of this. The yes. the article that came out in Variety. We're going to link that in the show. No, now. it's Vanity Fair. Vanity Fair. Sorry, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. The article that came out in Vanity Fair about the abuse of of Carlton Cuse and Damon Lindelof to their staff, the writers' room, and the actors on Lost yeah. was epically bad. And we had Daddy Javi, who <laughs> was sort of right at the center of it. And Javi's very much, if you're, if you're on Screen Ready Twitter, you know who Javi is. And he was quoted in the article, but he also wrote his own article, which we'll also link in the show notes, about the abuse that he suffered on this show in the writer's room. And it's absolutely stunning the work environment, the toxic work environment that these two men, that they not only cultivated, but but also supported and endorsed. Like the racism, the sexism, the elitism, the entitlement. All it's, it, 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 was, it is so many examples. I mean, the racism, we can definitely talk about um, the actor, oh man, I'm blinking on his name. Harold Perrineau? Perrineau. Perrineau yeah. is in there as well, describing, you know, how he, you know, trying to work on his half of his character because it is, uh, he's one of, was one of the only black people on set. Yeah. And yet you know, on, uh, on Lost and, you know, the, the story they had was between him and his son and then like his son goes missing and his attitude through that suddenly is just like, whatever. Uh, and he's like, that's not okay. You know, right. In, it's not in, okay it's not okay uh, as a parent and also as a black father, like that's just, that's just bad. That's bad juju and perpetuating stereotypes. And you know, he basically got told it was being difficult and it's good drama. And that, I mean, that's an example there. I mean, the other racism is they had one writer they just referred to as the Korean, mm -hmm. like Korean, go take the board. Like that was, yeah. Like, yeah, so I Korean, mean, go get it. Korean, get up. You know, that that kind of bullshit. It's just 
really fucked up. And the 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 weird the the thing that was that was I remember reading in the article. There's a part where Lindelof gets confronted by the author Maureen Ryan, who is writing a book. And we'll link to the book in the show notes. It's like burn it all down. Uh, and there's a subtitle in there. I don't know what the subtitle is, but we'll link it. The, like I said, we'll link the book in the show notes. It's, a, but, it's about toxicity in Hollywood. And right. And there's a, yeah. yeah. And there's a bunch of other sets I think that they talk about in the book, but the Vanity Fair article is just this one truncated chapter about loss. And the she confronts Lindelof because she says she, she's talked to him many times over the years as a journalist about his various projects and she confronts him about Perno and she says there's a moment in the writer's room where apparently you were quoted as saying he called me a racist so I fired him and the difference between multiple sources was either he said he called me a racist so I fired him or he called me a racist so I fired his ass it was either one of those two things so you definitely said this this is multiple sources, like not no, but just being prompted about the thing, hearing the same thing and saying variations of, that only, you know, sort of leave out one word that just <laughs> sort of modify the severity of what he said. So you said this and then him being like, I don't remember saying that. And I, the thing that's sort of not meant, well, it's not, I don't know if it's really covered in the article, but it's, it's the whole thing of these men didn't think that they would be confronted on yeah. that and that's the reason why they don't remember because it, it was it was business as usual for them it wasn't anything extraordinary out of the day it would be like somebody said yesterday you said that you had to go to the bathroom and you were like i did oh yes i went to the yeah you know what i mean like that sort of thing like you don't no, worry, keep... probably i go to the bathroom every day yeah right exactly <laughs> yeah you know what i mean it's not it, that's not something that you're going to hold in your brain that's not a memory that you're holding it's not a core memory you know what i mean but the, yeah. the abuse that these people like got, they were just like, those things stick. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think, I think that's, is, she points out in the Vanity Fair article that like the excuses, you know, there's that classic, you're a person of power and you just get to say, I don't recall. Right. And, you know, either that's, you know, you're incompetent. Um, <laughs> or as you just said, you are so used to that behavior. You do it every day. It doesn't even strike the memory. Right. Uh, it doesn't mean anything to you, which is, neither of those are good things. Right. Um, you know, I can honestly say if somebody today said, you're a racist, it would, I would remember it. And I, my reaction would not be to fire somebody's ass. My, my reaction would be like, oh, no, what, what I need. Well, yeah, what did I do? What, <laughs> yeah, what? yeah. <laughs> I need to figure out what I did. Yeah, um, I know. Like, yeah, oh my, yeah. you think I'm a, you think I'm a racist? Why? Why? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, what, what did I do? What, what, how have I, how have I hurt you? You know what I mean? Yeah. How have I hurt you? Yeah. What did I do? Please, let's talk about it. You know what I mean? If I hurt you, if I said something that was hurtful to you, please let me know. Like, yeah. let's have a conversation about it. But this person was like, called me a racist, so I fucking fired him. That's, that's, <laughs> that's how yeah. I go. And yeah, so, exactly. And, that, and then, though, as soon as that he said it, he got it to get a laugh in the room. Apparently, there was laughter in the room. But then after that, that that thought was out of his head. It was gone. Yeah. yeah. And that's it, the kind it, of it room didn't mean anything to him. Yeah, exactly. And for, for the rest of us, for the people receiving those comments, for the people, like, if you and I were to say something like that, we'd be like, whoa, that was a day that was, like, right, you know, out of character or bizarre, or I need to really 
get back on my meds. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, I don't, I don't know what I was on that day. I, I really don't. What the hell? Like, yeah, I one time, one time, a doctor for I have psoriasis is a little old white lady, and they prescribed me oral steroids. And the second day, I was angry, and I was like, everybody should be lit on fire. So I, I look back <laughs> on that day, and I go, yeah, that was a weird day. Yeah. Um, but for Lindelof, not a weird day. Yeah, I, remember, I had a, a similar day. experience where I, I ended up being prescribed Percocet because my I had blood under my nail and they burned it off and they burned my nail and the nail fell off and I was in extreme pain and I got prescribed Percocet and I remember being like, whoa, that was, that was a bad weekend. That was yeah. a real bad weekend. Not doing <laughs> that one again. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. And, but yeah, the, the big thing is for this, it's just business as usual. It didn't mean anything to them. Right. Which, which is just worse. It's just worse, yeah. you know. It's, um, <laughs> speaking of worse, there's one other topic I threw on our Twitter screenwriting um, strike news. It is strike news, which is overnight the DGA has reached a tentative agreement with the AMPTP. Yeah. So That's, well, you know, I mean, without the, without even letting their members vote. Well, you know. The DJ people have been talking about how the DJ has been sort of has been doing their thing and how the AMPTP wants to use the Directors Guild as this sort of as you know, we've come to the table with the Directors Guild. Why can't the writers blah blah blah? Like they want to use the the them as the example of the good child. And it's and this has been a this is the same thing that happened on the 2007-2008 strike. It's like repeated. Right. Yeah. Well, directors think that they have less to lose. They, 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 I know that they don't think that they can be replaced by AI, but the fact of the matter is, is that they're the, we've all seen those, those new videos that all suck. They all suck. They'd be like, this video was completely made with AI. And it's like, yeah. okay. And it's what if Harry Potter was directed by, Wes Anderson. Right, right, right. And they, you know, you've seen these really crappy videos and stuff like that, and they're never good. And I'm sure people from the Directors Guild are just looking at that and be like, that's never going to be whatever, whatever. But the problem, the fact of the matter is, is that their their struggles are, are going to be the same, where maybe it, it doesn't, but Maybe they won't necessarily use it, but it'll be we're using AI to create pre-visualizations. And the producer likes the way that this thing has been rendered out. And now they want you to direct to that. They want yeah. you to move to this and stuff like that. So it wasn't even something created by human hands. It's yeah. something. And then you're looking at it and you're like, this is so this is I've seen this before because Oh, the only thing that AI can do is plagiarize. Of course, it's going to look like everything else. It can't look like anything new. It's already. It can only take and extrapolate what's already there and not even reinterpret it. Just repurpose it. Yeah. And they just repurpose it as a, for a different thing. And then it's it's Michael Bay copying Jackie Chan. It's just literally a copy. That's literally that's all it is. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's sometimes interesting when you play with it to like, oh, what if you did? put these two comps together what if you, mm -hmm. you merge those ideas like it's it is a good tool in that way to kind of free up your thinking and and get all loosey-goosey and you know sit there going what can this be like it's it's good on that on that stage sometimes i find it's a little it's a, again it's a little too it goes for it, it's a race to mediocre but 
The other thing is, is there's now AI, there are some AIs, I was just seeing this this week, and I, I did sign up for their beta test, I haven't been accepted yet, that reads your script and evaluates it just in AI and then tells you your casting choices. So the wow. other thing, yeah, which which is, it's not good, like the person who had it read was doing a script about being, I believe, Asian American, and their casting choice for the lead, Asian American person was Chris Pratt, so like a... And everybody knows he's an Italian plumber. Yeah. Did you just say that he played an uh, Italian plumber? Yeah. 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 Oh, but, man. That's that's lovely. Yeah. So, I mean, imagine being a director and then feeding through your casting choices with AI and saying, these are who you're going to have because that will equal this dollar or, you know, that's that's what the script needs. You know, instead of you, I don't know, saying if you have a good relationship to, you know, work with the actor and, you know, get the performance you're really looking for, all of that, then you have this AI over your shoulder going, no, it should should be Chris Pratt. Yeah, Yeah. I just, for me, I don't understand why we're using AI to do, like, the the most creative stuff. Like, I don't need it here. I don't need it for writing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I, you know, as much as I hate outlining, and I, and... And you're, <laughs> you're, you're, I'm eating my words here. I hate outlining, but as much as I hate outlining, I would never put my outlining process through a AI program. I would just do it myself. And there are times when I just like, there's too much. I need to organize my thoughts and I need to put it together in a document, like an outline-ish kind of document. And it happens to the best of us pantsers. You know what yeah. I mean? We're not perfect. And sometimes you can do things off the dome and sometimes you can't, but that just comes from experience. But even still, I would never, I would never, even on my worst days, I would never go through and just put it in a prompt and see what the prompt spits out. That's just not how I work. And I, I, I for me, that's just writing. The figuring out of it is the writing. Yeah. If you don't want to figure it out, why are you writing? What's the point? Just go do something else. That's yeah. what you're doing is not writing. Yeah. I mean, at this point as well, if it's, if it's, you know, if you're using it less as a tool and more as a document to literally do the writing, then at that point it's like, are you the writer? Is the AI the writer? Are you the person feeding the prompts? Right. You know, and I didn't get into this business to feed prompts to a Right. I didn't. Do, yeah. That's not how I roll. That's not what I got into yeah. this business for. I, I want to tell stories, man. That's fucked up. And I think I can do a better job than the than the regurgitated AI. I think that's the other thing. It's just like, I have exactly. a unique perspective. Or as one of these strike signs says, is AI doesn't have trauma, childhood yeah. trauma. So, you know, it can't compete that way. So anyway, we'll see how things go with the DGA. But also, I would like to say there are directors on Twitter that are pretty pissed because they didn't even get a chance to vote on this deal. So even though the DGA itself has historically licked some boots, many directors are not happy that they didn't get a voice. Yeah, that seems really weird. I don't know how that... That's not how unions are supposed to work. That's not... Typically, how unions are supposed to work, the whole thing is you come up with a deal and then you vote on it to make sure that the that folks support it. And then depending on what, you know, you have to have an overwhelming majority. And then if you have the majority, then it passes. If not, yeah. you go back to the table. Yeah. So we should keep an eye on this this week. I have a feeling directors are going to start speaking up. So I don't yeah. want to be like, oh, y'all bootlickers. I'm just saying right now this deal is false. Right. 
You speaking, as well. Go yeah. ahead. Speaking of balls, let's talk about writing Act Two. Uh, because <laughs> because Act Two is the worst. It is the, worst. the absolute worst. But the thing about Act Two is this is where your movie is. This is the movie. Act yeah. Two is the movie. And I had this thought that technically TV is mostly Act Two. Like you have a setup yeah. and then, you know, the setup could be as much as the first season, I guess. But the rest yeah. of it is just act two, with the exception of the final season or even the final episodes. Like you, the second act could last all the way up until the final two or three episodes. And then it's like that was all set up for act two. And then you had the climax and then the final three episodes. I, you could really say that about Better Call Saul. Better Call Saul is like the climax is like whoop, and then they literally they they there's a three episode finale. That's yeah. Act Three. Stranger okay. Things is like that too right now as mm -hmm. well. The last, especially those and Severance, I will argue as well. Well, I don't know. We can't really because Sever well Severance right Severance is, first season that was the first that. act. Yeah, that was the yeah. first act. This is the world, and then we're now we're breaking into Act Two. But the end of season one. It's literally the break in Act Two. Yeah, I I think I think so. Depending on how many seasons. Depending on how many seasons, right? Yeah, but, not, it's a midpoint if it's short, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like so. Yeah, this is where your movie is, and so you know you have all of these things that you have to set up, set up, yes. set up, set up, set up. That's, yeah, all mostly set up. Because well, I mean, you want to put some of that setup in your act one, so then you can uh, sprinkle it in. But yeah, mm -hmm. you're, you're setting up so many things for it to pay off. Yep. Like uh, I have a the last script I did the, the the desert owl woman, which I know I've talked about here too much. Sorry, people. But I had to set up this fireworks display out in the desert because in act three we come back to it, and if there's no fireworks set up in act two, nothing can happen in act three, right? Right. So, right. you know, and that's the type of thing where it, you, you basically just kind of like, it's kind of like you're playing pinball and you're coiling back that launcher and you got to pull it, pull it, pull it. So you have enough energy to get through act two. Right. Yeah. And then, yeah, then you kick that pinball, it goes all the way around, like, you know, it goes all the way around the thing. But yeah, there's, I I work in the pinball arcade, so I, I, I that just a lot of imagery for that for me but anyway that the whole of act two of there's so much setup and the best parts of like you know because my eternal thing is michael clayton but they set up this document that mm -hmm. has been that arthur found and he had given he had made all these copies of and they have, but you have to set up the document, and then they go through the second act. There's literally a part where he reads the part of the document out loud, knowing that he's being monitored, and he goes through and he just starts talking about it. He's just reading it out loud, like letting these people know a that he's being surveilled, and b that he has all of this shit. Yeah. And so they're going through the documents. They're going through the documents. They're going through the documents. He's talking about it, and then they decide to kill him, and. That third act, you know, when they, when they, when, when Michael just shows up with that one thing, you know what I mean? But like it, when Michael finds it later on, but they have to set this up. Like you have to set up how damaging this document is. Yeah. And so there's like little breadcrumbs about it all the time. It also pays off. 
the beginning of the movie where you see all of these people shredding documents, shredding yeah. this, shredding that, trying to get it because they're trying to push through this, this merge, this, this deal that's going to get them out of trouble, this settlement that will make everything go away, basically, because of the existence of this document. And we don't yeah. know about it yet. But like the whole thing seems to be about how Howard has lost his mind, but that knowing what's on the document pays that off, like the beginning of the movie and what's been happening behind the scenes. And so there's just a lot of things like that. But, it, you know, the way that they continue to make this going on in the background, like it doesn't distract from the main storyline of like Michael's sort of spiritual journey or yeah, spiritual journey is the right thing where he where he's going in terms of his life, the person that he wants to be. Because he's yeah. reached the apex of being the bag man. Yeah. And he just wants to, like, he wants out of it so bad. He just wants a corner office where he can go come out of this, like, this place. He wants to just give, get rid of it. He sells out Howard. You know, he did the whole thing just to get a corner office and just so they would just leave him alone and stop being this guy. But, yeah, there's just, there's so much of that you have to set up. And that's all of Act 2, just... I saw Spider-Verse, and I'll talk about that later. But man, that act too, just, it's, it, it is everything. And then... <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to agree with you on that. I'm going to say, I think one of the big misnomers on act two is that you're like, oh, I've got all this room I can dilly-dally, right? Mm -hmm. Right. But no, like, just like act one and act three, it's got to be tight as a drum. Right. You don't Even want though it's going fat. to be the longest act in yeah. the movie. Yeah. It, I I was thinking of it like it's like well I don't know if you've seen Lawrence of Arabia but the scene mm -hmm. where he's got to cross the desert overnight before right. sunrise it's this terrible terrible hot desert and if he doesn't cross it overnight he is going to the sun is going to rise and he will die in the desert of heat exhaustion like that right mm -hmm. and so it, that's kind of what Act Two is is you still got to cross the desert at night <laughs> in time because you know there is no extra room and right. time for dilly dally so you know it feels like a lot and i read a lot of act twos where people are just hanging out yeah you and just lose the plot because you're trying to you know there's in terms of save the cat you know it has a bunch of things you know it starts off with you know breaking it two and then fun and games you know what i mean and there's there's a lot of stuff but and you can get sort of bogged down in the in making in the making of the movie, in the in the events, mm. you know, you're trying to build up these characters. You're trying to give everybody a chance to shine and make each character worth it, like justify their place in the screenplay of, you know, hopefully. But there there are some characters, sometimes characters get left behind. And I think a, a, a lot of people in, in movies, in terms of editing, where there were probably more, but it got cut. Yeah, I feel like that about Ant Man and the Wasp, where I feel like a lot of the Wasp scenes probably got left on the cutting room floor. It's just got a bad act too, and you're watching it, and you're just there's a lot of stuff happening, but none of it is really memorable or meaningful. There's just stuff happening, yeah. and then of course you get to the midpoint, and that midpoint, man, fuck. The mid meanwhile. I love a good midpoint. Really? Uh, I love midpoints. They may be my favorite structural point. Because, you know, it really, if you if you nail a midpoint, it can really, it's like, it's like doing two Red Bulls all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> back to, it's like shotgunning them. Because suddenly, usually, it, it usually, if you can, 
it pulls the plunger back again and says, wait, wait, you thought you were close? You're not even close. Right. And and so like it's really helpful. Sometimes at midpoint, if you have a rom-com, like a classic midpoint beat is the couple likes each other, things are good. Seems like they're gonna get together. Midpoint, somebody's fiance swoops in, right? That's wedding right. crashers, right? And all of a sudden you're like, oh, it's not, you guys can't get together. That's not, it's not so easy. Or, mm-hmm. you know, so things like that happen usually. Midpoints, okay, this is going to be me like being way too annoying. This is not all midpoints, but you'll find amongst the midpoints is usually there's like a big party scene where everybody's present. And oftentimes really good midpoints will introduce a new character, you know, or will show up as well. And it's amazing those two things happen in so many midpoints. You know, social network, I always point out, has this beautiful rolling midpoint where there's a party and Jesse Eisenberg, Zuckerberg character, sees his ex-girlfriend there and tries to brag about what he's doing. She doesn't care. She calls Facebook a video game. And what does he do? Yeah, she says, good luck with your video game. And he says, we need to expand. Yeah, he says, we need to expand. And what happens? They expand so far to Stanford, California. A brand new character enters the ring, which is Sean. Yeah, and then... The movie completely takes off like a rocket at that point. The the yeah. scene between where they meet Sean Parker for the first time is 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 masterful. That is that is a a masterful scene. It is is so good. Just yeah. l- listening to that 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 conversation and he and Mark bond so hard after that first conversation. Yeah. And it's oh oh what a great midpoint. It's just yeah. <laughs> Is, and that's the thing is usually if a midpoint, if you if you have a midpoint, it, it's oftentimes like, oh, you know, the first half of Act 2, maybe you're going tick, 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 up a couple hills on the roller coaster, or you were doing a couple slopes, and all of a sudden now you can be like, oh, we're on the big hill. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. This, it's... Is, the, this is the all the marbles hill. And whoosh, you know, it can, it can really, it can really revitalize or like give your Act 2 energy. And I think sometimes the problem you have is the, those sluggish Act 2s is none of the beats are meaningful enough to give you that shot in the arm. Mm-hmm. There's there, the moment, I think, for uh, one of my favorite midpoints, I think, is the moment where Tony decides that he's going to help build the time machine, like he's going to he's going to help with the time heist in Endgame. Yeah. And that midpoint is, is, is great because it's like Cap and Iron Man make up in this one scene where they come through and they just... They've had all this animosity and we've been waiting for them to get back together. We want mommy and daddy to get back together. <laughs> and finally they get back together and Cap and, and and Tony gets out and he gives Cap the shield. And Cap is just like, because it's a moment for him because he hasn't worn it in years. And yeah. he, he's been through it. They've lost everything. And here's the two of them. They're just like, and Tony just goes, why? It's yours. This is yours. And literally, like that's it. There you go. Like we're we're going to time heist, baby. We're go. Like this is the thing. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it just that's the the move. That's you know it gives it the thing to go. You know. Other thing interesting about a midpoint I want to point out is depending on the structure, either the midpoint is like a additional complication, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a it seems like it's a false low, right? Where you're like, ah, oh, shit, can't get any worse, or it's a false high. And right. I think sometimes people. People don't realize that, but especially if you're watching, like, I always think of stories about musicians, right? If you're watching something like Elton John, Rocket Man, the midpoint is, oh, congratulations, you got everything you want, you're happy now. And the midpoint is like, oh, shit, I 
I did everything I wanted, but that didn't solve any of my problems. It just made them worse. And so it could be either one. Your character could think they're having the best time of their lives, or they could say, oh shit, I'm further away than I ever was. Both yeah, it, in Rocky, it, yeah, in Rocky movie, it usually starts with like Rocky getting the fight that he wants. Especially mm-hmm. in the first Rocky, where he gets a he gets a shot at the title. But now they're like, you're not ready for this. <laughs> You're not ready for this fight. Are you kidding me? And then it, you know, there's the, the 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 Rocky montage, which is famous at this point. But you know, it, it's you know, then you see Rocky like literally like dragging his entire body through this process, and this always looks no matter what those Rocky sequences, those those like fight like training for the fight sequences, they are always grueling. Is it yeah. just like a regular human being? You're just looking at someone putting their body through so much, like punishment and it's oh every time yeah yeah so i mean i think think about that with the midpoint as well either one of those can be like a real shot in the arm and other things in act two is usually i this is all usually i don't believe in every hard and fast rule but if you're trying to figure out like hey where should this maybe go usually whatever the midpoint is falls high or falls low its opposite is going to be your low low point so if you have a low midpoint, usually the low point could be a false high, right? It could be right. like, congratulations, you got everything you wanted. You got the, you got the, you know, the promotion at work that you were really hang, hung, hungry for, but the girl you actually liked who helped you the whole time is gone now. Good job. Right. You know, and so you're like, oh, I got what I thought I wanted for my goal in act two, but eh? Yeah, there's a yeah, the, the, there's a really great Tim Allen movie that has a really sort of understated midpoint where mm-hmm. Tim Allen gets the sort of the promotion that he's been sort of wanting at Joe somebody and mm-hmm. he gets it and then he realizes that he gets it because his bosses have set him up to fail. They want him to do this thing yeah. that he no longer wants to do and get into this fight basically and because they want to be able to fire him they want to for him to do to for him to spell his own uh destruction and yeah. he's been working towards, news, yeah. right he's been working towards being respected and getting recognition at work and not being such a pushover and having finally gotten this position he just he gets there and then they're just like oh wait these people are setting me up to fail and I've been doing all this fight shit, and now it's like, and he's like, I don't, I, I don't want, <laughs> I don't want right. to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do the thing. I the thing I was trying to do the whole thing. I don't want to do anymore. So also, I noticed here. You, so you haven't talked to a little. I mean, we've talked a little bit about the midpoint, but usually at the midpoint as well is like the negative effects of the goal you've been trying to pursue in Act One Two. They are catching up with you at this point right. with your character, if not you personally, unless this is your story. <clears throat> But, you know, at that point, like, you kind of want to go, like, it's enough of, like, hey, you've been doing enough, you know, you've upset the status quo enough, people are starting to notice, you know, nobody's right. going to be like, oh, right. let that person go do their chaos. And Michael um, Clayton, it's Michael trying to, like, his boss is being like, you've got to handle this. You've got to get a handle on this. You've got to get this under control. you got to get this done. What are yeah. you doing? And yeah. he's like, I will. And then finally, he handles everything. And he gets what he wants, like you said, like, you know, there's that point where he gets that corner office, like he gets the deal that he wants. And then he realizes, like, oh, God, like, who have I become? And then and that's, that, that's that terrible thing where you're, you're given exactly what you want. And then you're like, oh, I don't I don't want that. That was just, what the right. character realizes. The thing I was pursuing, my my goal wasn't what it was what I wanted, but it wasn't what I needed. Right. 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 Yeah. And. and 
And that's a, that's a huge thing as well for Act Two is your character probably doesn't know essentially what they actually need. What they mm-hmm. what they want is you know oh I want recognition. I want to be a star. I want to be seen. I want to be the team. But what they need is usually a little bit more hidden for them, which is I want family. I want connections. For I want to be I a want, good person. I want to be a good person. Yeah, and and that realization when they go through Act Two, suddenly they've been faced with their want versus their need. And at that point, they realize like, oftentimes it's a a changing of the goal, mm-hmm. right? Which is like, oh, I need I need to. I need to reevaluate. Uh, <laughs> I need to figure out what the fuck I'm about to do because I've done all this work to yeah. I've set this thing up, like all the like I've set this thing up in order to get this, and I'm moving towards what 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 I set out to do, and I, I've finally gotten there. But at the same time, now this this other thing has happened now, like this other thing is now moving towards us, and so you know because the because of my actions to get to this place, something else is now heading towards us. What this is really saying is consequences right Mm -hmm. right and i think i think sometimes in act two we forget there should be consequences every step of the way oh you're gonna step out and try to do your own thing what are the consequences of that Mm -hmm. you know and and they have to be meaningful in order for you to get traction right in order for your audience to care like there has to be there like there has like you said the consequences have to be meaningful not only to the character but also in terms of the plot like that we have to care not only where the character is going but where is the movie going and this is why i think movies end up so long because you're trying to make a space where we actually care about what is happening to these characters where these characters are going there's a moment in air not to spoil anything where like sunny realizes that not only has he jeopardized his own job but he's jeopardized the job of everyone that he works with by, by setting all of these things in line for this one person, he has jeopardized the jobs of hundreds of people. And it's it's been about me, 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 me. And then finally they realize it's, it's, it's not about them. Like, you know what I mean? Even if it is about them, it's no longer about them. And those consequences are come visually. It's really great. It's a great example of showing, not telling, where Sonny goes out to the bullpen at Nike and he sees the, all the people that he works with. They've been yeah. background players this entire time. And he looks around and he sees all these people working, all of these people on the phone. They're like, they're all trying to get towards this goal. All the little stories that we don't get to hear of this person doing this, like this person who got the flowers, you know what I mean? Like this person who called the limo. All of those little stories are not being told, but there they are right there on display. And... I have jeopardized all of these people and their livelihoods with my actions. And yeah. it's that's the way that you have to, you know, if you can do that visually, like make the audience care, that's great. But I think a lot of people like overwrite at this point, trying to make us care. And it extends that act into this weird mini act where people are trying to like, trying to course correct from stuff that they haven't properly set up. Like, yes. Yeah. I think that's where you get, I think you mentioned it in rom-coms, it's that weird act four. That weird fourth act, yes. Yes, 100%. There's a terrible fourth act in in You've Got Mail. And woo, where it just goes, it just, now we're like, like Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan 
have had an adversarial relationship, but then Tom Hanks figured out that Meg Ryan is his pen pal, his online pen pal, but she still doesn't know that he's she, he's her pen pal. And then there's this weird act now where like he knows, yeah, he knows, but she doesn't. And then he gaslights her for 10, 15 minutes. He just gaslights her and becomes this weird, creepy fuck who looks <laughs> like where he's still pretending to be the pen pal instead of just coming clean. It's just, it's, oh, it's weird. It's awful. And doesn't he make her like meet him somewhere? Like, yes, he, like, yes. He stands her up and like, I'm like, if you care about this person, why are you being so cool? Well, he doesn't stand her up, but he, he sets, he, he goes to lunch right. with her as himself. Like they become right. friends. Like while he's gaslighting her, they right. become she's waiting friends. For her. Yes. So and she shows up. She's her pen right. And, and he's like, he, he gives her like this weird test. Like, like you don't have to, like we could just go to the movies. Like he's like, you could pick me or you could pick your guy. And she's yeah. just like, I'm going to, well, you know, uh, I'm going to go for the guy. And then she, she gets there with the dog and he's, uh, well, he gets there with the dog. And she goes, I knew it was you. And you're like, did you though? Like, did why didn't you say something like right there? You know what I mean? You just saw him 10 minutes ago. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's, so, it's weird. And then for me, it's creepy because it's like, that would not fly. He she he catfishes her yeah. with himself. It's weird. It's it's mm, no, 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 no. That mini act, that mini fourth act, I can't stand it. Yeah, it's, and I think. I think I think I think the problem is is if you had written it tighter, right? Mm -hmm. And listen, there are plenty of people who got paid and did this, and they worked their hardest on it. So I'm not gonna like lambast them. But structurally speaking, if we were to write it tighter, and instead of needing that fourth fourth act, we made a sequence of revealing himself and mm -hmm. her, you know, going through that mental journey. You know, you know what it does is that makes that roller coaster tick 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 tick. All that more elevated. Yeah, it's so elevated right. to the point where you're like, are we ever gonna go over? Like, what yeah. is this now? Like, yeah, and I think just... I think instead we have these like little mini hills, and you know that's not why we get on a roller coaster. We right. want to throw. Very and strange. Think, and I think I think so. Sometimes that happens in like production where you know some producer is like, no, I want I want this, but it doesn't necessarily make the story better. If anything. Yeah. You know, as far especially with like rom coms, I'm gonna say this, and I hope you don't mind. Is we, we inevitably know the characters are gonna wind up together, unless right. they no, get the point at the very end that they don't. And well, like, the whole point of it is that we're supposed to want the characters to get together. Yeah, but have have you ever seen? I'm gonna put this on my recommends list. It is a Hindi film called You Will Love It because it's a it's a rom a romance. It's called A Lunchbox. I have not. Okay, great setup by the way, it is about, so in India, there's a lunch delivery service in Mumbai where the wives will make hot lunches and those nice little stacked, you know, hot lunch boxes. <laughs> and there's, there are people who deliver them to their husbands at work every day. Right. And, and the, the delivery service, it's people, Harvard studied it and like the accuracy of them delivering all the lunch boxes is like 99.9 every day. But this made a, uh, the, the, Greater of this, they're like, but what happens with that 0.1%, right? Mm -hmm. And it's about this woman unhappy in her marriage whose lunchbox she's sending out is going to the wrong man and not her her husband who's not. Oh, wow. Her. And they start exchanging notes through the lunchbox and falling in love. Oh. I know. I'm not going to tell you more than that, but the, you, you spend the entire movie going, I want the, they've never met. 
I want these two people. It's got some sleepless in Seattle vibes. Uh, and they, I, you like, I want these two to like get in the same room and like care about each other and all this stuff. And we the audience are waiting every single second till the very last scene. And I will say like, once you get the, once you kind of get that relief, like you're good, but you don't, you don't have to do all this like bouncing around so much, you know, right. we as the audience already know the love stories feels right and inevitable. We just need to sometimes get those fuckers in the same room. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. And, and so you don't need those yeah. extra four feet. Yeah. No, you don't. And even on like, you know, like you got mail where that, where it, it jumps right into that fourth act. It's so great. There's actually a really great line where Tom Hanks, where she he hands her a tissue and, and she's about to say something snarky because they still have that snarky relationship going yeah. back and forth. And he goes, I'm going to stop you right there before you say something that we're going to regret for the rest of our lives. And it's so beautiful. And because we know what we know, we know that he knows, even though that she doesn't know. They could go right to the end of the movie right there. It they literally they could literally go. It has like there's no reason for the movie not to stop right at that line and have her take that tissue and let her take care of him the way he's going to take care of her. And we understand that he's going to take care of her for the rest of her their lives. And we get it. And we're in love with them. And we want to see it happen. We we've been through the journey. We've been through the yeah. entire journey and just let it happen, man. Just let yeah. it fucking happen. And that's the thing. Like, though, this gets to my point. And this happens to me a lot because I'm a panther. I'm a filthy heathen panther. And I, you have to I'm know. I'm nodding. Your ending. The audience is at home. <laughs> I am nodding, going, yes. You're very much you nodding. Yeah. You have to know your ending. You absolutely have to know your ending because there's, you can sort of start out with stuff. And I think you can get through a, like a first act without an ending, but you might be able to get through m- the first half of the second half of that ending. But once you reach that midpoint, you better know what where this is going. You better know where this is ending up because at this point you set up all of these things. And sometimes you use the setups to figure out where you wanted to land. Mm-hmm. I do that at least. But for me, if I if I don't know what if I don't know what the ending is by the time I get to the midpoint, I'm screwed. The movie fizzles out on page fifty, like I'm just done. And I, that's happened to me a bunch of times where I was just like, I was trying, <laughs> I tried it, and then page fifty just it's gone. It's there's I'm not, nothing. I'm left. not argue for my pantsers out there. Sometimes you don't need to know the exact ending, but you should know what the climax is. Hmm. Because, like, I, for example, in the Owl Woman movie, you know, the climax is she has to eat her friends because uh, she's a cannibal. And I was like, maybe she does it. Maybe she does, you know, maybe she does, maybe she doesn't. Like, I didn't know until I wrote the script and then I knew which way she was going to go. But I always knew we were building up to that question. Right. Uh, you, there, there, there's a certain amount of information that you just, you have to know. Like you said, the climax, I don't know. I'm still going to argue that you need to know what the ending is because you're trying to make things satisfying at least sure. you know i'm trying to set it up because i want it when you see it coming down it's it, like depending on what it is it's either a train wreck in slow motion or it's like oh my god it all came together like it's one of those two things you know what i mean yeah. like it should be like the the ending of, of x machina is is perfect for that where yeah. you're just like it's actually both it's this is a train wreck in slow motion and oh my god it's all coming together at the yeah. same time, but for different characters where you realize like what 
this what one character has done versus what the other character was doing and you thought both one hand was washing the other and you had no idea that the that the right hand had a completely different agenda yeah and you're just like oh my god oh my oh my this is it's a masterful it's a master stroke of like that just climax and you're like ah but you have to know what that's what what you're building that like yeah yeah, you can't do that by accident that's that that's I think sometimes you you may when you do a pass have I've I've had this where I have like a week act three when I first go and then when I look at it in draft two the second draft I'll be like okay what was that about like what where where do I need to go so you may I think it's more important to have more act two in place than act three because then you have that momentum in the build I don't want to Stephen King it but Stephen King is all <laughs> act two he is he's Stephen King is classic all act yeah. Yeah, the the stand man is all act two. It's all act two, and then you're just like, oh, the hand of God, and then you're like, oh, okay, and then it just there's just like this this slow slog to like, oh man, people, Jesus Christ, yeah, that's kind of yeah, how the book Tommy ends. Knockers is like that too with the spaceship resetting. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, like, and I'll argue even even the Dark Tower. Get the fuck out of here! No. That ending is 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 classic. No, 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 no. Steve gets that one one hundred percent right. Well, I think it's great. I think it just proves his process, though. No, 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 no. Because I love it. Well, okay, but Steve's thing about the ending being the journey and like that sort of yeah. thing, but it works in. But the ending is the beginning, and it it works for what it is because Roland, like, he realizes like his mistakes. You know what yeah. I mean? Because Roland has been so he's been so rolling through the whole thing. Like he's just unbreakable. He doesn't, he doesn't bend. He doesn't not bend through the whole yeah. thing. And certainly he becomes softer through the thing. We're getting to know Eddie and Suzanne and Jake and Oi, but they're the, I love the they ending. included Oi. Yeah. I love Oi. Of course. I'm, he is part of the quartet. But anyway, so you have to like getting to know these people has softened him up, but he screwed up in act one. That's the yeah. whole point. When he, I'm not going to spoil that, but he does something in the first act, which is the first book. And then from literally from drawing of the three all the way to the end, that's act two until Dark Tower, which is seven. That's all set up. And then, you know, but then he screwed up in act one. That's his, that's his flaw. He screwed up yeah. there. And so right, he, has yeah. go, <laughs> he has to go through the rest of it like he does. Because he's screwed up and he has to do it again because he's screwed up. And so that's, you know, but you have to, I don't know. I guess you're right. Like in sort of in that thing, I don't, Steve doesn't know. He didn't know when he did that, that that was what it was, but. No, like, but I think he had an inkling because the story, this right. Star Tower was also about process and the process of a writer and the mm -hmm. process of a journey. You know, like, I think he, he was working on the themes he knew wanted to be involved and also King, he says this in his book on writing, by the way. So if you, I know we talk about King, but he also has an excellent book about just being a writer. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll link to like, that in the show notes. It's so great. Yeah, it's a, it's a great book. It's an easy read. It's probably, my, I mean, I like his fiction, but it's probably No, but it's, it's definitely his best book. It's his best yeah. book. Let's go for it. And half of it is just about how he, how he came up as a writer, and the other half is his process and how he sits down and does pages. So I recommend it to a lot of writers who just want to, like, number mm -hmm. one, not feel alone as a writer, and no, other people have the same sufferings they have. Right. And number two, like, he does, he, he's, he's very disciplined, and, and not disciplined in the way of, like, you know, militant, but he's like, 
And for him, for example, he has a huge reading list. He read he reads fiction constantly besides mm -hmm. just writing his fiction. He's very much um, a, a big reader. He's a big reader, which is makes sense because he's a big novelist. Yeah, and he's not know? a snob about what he reads. He reads everything. He's so he reads great. everything. Yeah. And so I think I think it's good. And I'd say there's just a lot of like he puts his ego aside and is very honest with like his journey. And I think it's I think we need to see that as writers. We need to right. humanize writers who are successful so we we don't feel like they're on a pedestal. And anyway, we're getting a little sidetracked. Well, but, you know, uh, I think that sort of brings into the fact that uh, Stephen is is a great sort of segue into the fact that uh, don't worry Captain if your second Hall act, act is long. Don't yeah. worry because you can cut it. Just like I'm going to cut this podcast and then <laughs> both yeah. to, make it, to make it fit the way. Yeah, you, you, we're going to cut. We're going to no, cut. But that's it's a, okay that's to be a little long. It's okay to be. I'd rather you be long than short because right, right, if right. you're sitting there and you have you know, six great ideas in act two and you only need four, that means you get to pick the top mm -hmm. four, you yeah. know? And, and sometimes you get to pull like some of the really good stuff and put it in to make the other four acts good. Like if there's a really good piece in act like five, you're like, ooh, I'm going to take that out and put that here because I can't have any of this other crap, you know? Yeah, that yeah. And I think I think it's it's all good. Yeah, so definitely this is, this is an act of like, if you can put in more interesting and compelling stuff, Kitchen sink it, especially for an early draft. Like explore what, because what you'll probably find when you redo it is there's some stuff that has redundancies, or right. you're like, oh, this one's more powerful than this one. I'm gonna just juge up this one. So, but but by all means, you know, build a lot of hills on your coaster, right? Yep, one hundred percent. Working that metaphor the whole time. Yeah, we're just gonna keep abusing it. So let's move on to what are we watching, consuming, writing. First, yeah. I watched Spider-Verse, as I mentioned before, and I, no notes, 10 out of 10. Beautiful. It might be my favorite movie of the year. I immediately wanted to get out of my chair, go to the ticket counter, buy another ticket, and go back into the theater. I <laughs> want to live in this movie. I absolutely adore it. There's a scene, not to spoil anything, where Miles and Gwen just talk to each other, and it felt the most real of anything that I've seen in cinemas in years. Like this is this feels like well, the way I felt when I saw her. It was just like, God damn it, this is a fucking game changer. Like this is for children. Jesus Christ. For all like, of us, all of us have an inner child. It's so good. It's so good. And speaking of a second act that just set up and set up and set up and set up, and then it just hits us. It keeps building on itself and to the point where not only on its own first act, but also its first act, which is the first movie, it builds off of that. Mm -hmm. So it, it's doing a double, it's doing a double act where it's building off of its own first act of the movie, but also the first act, the first movie itself. And it's building off of these setups from that, from that movie. And it just set up and pay off and pay off and pay off and pay off till you, till you get to the end and they reveal something and you're like, fuck me. It's such a, oh, it's beautiful. It's great. It's lovely. I would, I want to live in this world. I, I can't wait for part three. You're going like to have to wait for part three. Just amazing. So I watched that and uh, I liked it. And I'm also. I liked it. Okay. <laughs> I'm reading Gerald's Game. I'm not say reading, but I'm listening to it on audiobook because I've tried to read it. And I always just opt out because this book is slow. It's a really slow book, but I want to read it 
more than I want to read it. So if that makes any sense. You want to have read it more than you want to read it. Yes. Yes. Because it's very slow. There's like a whole, like two chapters where it's just about this woman trying to grab a glass of water. That's not an exaggeration. There's just trying to grab a glass of water. If you think about that, the, oh, yes. But anyway, it's an audio book, so I can listen to it while I'm driving and doing, and, and, and door dashing. So I'm, I'm able to do that and I'm just able to do that. So I'm also rewriting Sex Like Pizza, the script that I am also currently shooting. Because <laughs> that's how you're Sorry. supposed to do indie film kids. And I'm I mean, trying- you never stop writing. Yeah. <laughs> And then you're, I'm also deciding on what my next masterpiece is going to be. I have some front runners, but right. I'm, I'm not, it's been a while since I've actually tackled the, the blank, blank page. Mm. So I'm trying to figure out what that's going to be. What about you, well, Kate Tuxford? I'm, so my partner, Ben, really loves to watch shows once they're done. So you mm-hmm. binge all of them. He, he was burnt out by a lost like when it was on all those years ago, week after week, waiting in anticipation. And he basically, after Lost, was like, never again. So now he waits until shows are done and watches them all. So Barry just finished, and he's getting into Barry. I saw the first, like, season, season and a half of Barry without him. Um, but now he's getting into it, so I'm picking up, uh, and I'm finishing it with him, too. So we're, gonna we're, be we're going down the Barry train this weekend. You're on me? Oh, he's going to be disappointed. Why? I don't know where you guys are, but I, I just, I found myself loving Barry, and then the end of season one was so weird, and then season two, I thought they were going to get back, and then it ended badly. Then season three, I didn't even know what the hell. And then... Well, we'll, but, see. we'll see. Yeah. I'm in season two already, so I got through the weirdness of season one. Yeah. And I'm kind of interested in doubt, so we'll see. Yeah. Um, <sighs> But, but well, uh, we can fight. Um, let me watch it all, and then I'll see if, which side I'm on. Um, yeah, so I'm doing that, and then I do have a new project. I pitched it, I think, to you, and I think I mentioned it on here, which is Feed Fifi. Yep. It is a, is a micro-budget where a, a 30-something millennial is forced to house it for her parents' friends, and she's trying to feed a shy cat uh, that she doesn't really see, but notices the food's gone and it turns out they don't have a cat and this is a demon she's feeding are you going to do the main character switch because i like that idea like i pitched it to you but i didn't know if you were going to do it the main character switch oh um i do have a friend i'm not sure if i'm going to do it yet and my outline i haven't done it um there is kind of like a friend who comes over for fake out to give us like a different we think it's going to go in a different direction right right i think i'm going to keep her i'm going to keep it simple I, right. did the, I mean, I, I, did, I, I just I I the, like the idea of the, the main character switch. That's it. I always love that, that when you're like, oh, no. and then I did that for delivery, and I liked it a lot for delivery. We did that main character switch after the first scene. Remember that? I don't know if you remember that. Well, you well, do you switch it to because the first scene is her going into that house? No, you, you, it starts with the lady in the house talking to her friend on the phone, and yeah, 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 we think it's about her. And then we follow the delivery driver out of that house. And it's not about her. It's about the delivery driver. Yeah, she's like talking about the thing and she's having this conversation that's completely disingenuous from what it, what, her, what her friend's saying, what she's saying to her friend on the phone. 
Yeah. And yeah, there then we get out and we meet Addie, the main character. So, so I, I mean, like I've done it. I'm not against it, but I think right now for what I have, I'm kind of picturing seeing the main character first for this. So this is the thing is even though I'm outlining it, you know, and it is that way, see where it goes. You know, I'm always flexible. So you may or may not be right, but I definitely, we're definitely bringing in her best friend or Bessie. I don't know. I feel like some people who are like friends from so long ago, it's not so much as a friendship as a codependence uh, towards destruction. So she's going to be more like that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I was going to say, I think we all have something like that. So that's your June project as you write that. Yeah. So I'm writing it. I'm finishing the outline this week and then I'm part of this a roadmap class where we're basically going to have to turn in pages every week and it has to be done by June or the first week of July. So I'll have a draft, which is great because it is a pretty low budget project. So I'm really looking to see if we can get people excited and on board for it. (laughs) What budget? It's basically no budget. Yeah, no, that's all. That's a joke. Yeah. There's a, there's a food budget. The food, everyone will be fed. And have a warm place to stay. you know what this is yeah. going to be something interesting for our listeners because you're going to be shooting this on the east coast potentially yeah. so you'll be in my neck of the woods so this might be a, this might be like a, a okay K-Tux for, Rob. yeah, yeah. production this might be you know that sort of thing and we'll be able to talk about that on the podcast and mm-hmm. if so you listeners you lovely listeners will get all of of, of all, all the, of juicy the gory details well yeah. Rob and I have different feelings on set. I don't know if we would be set simpatico. I think because... we will. Like, you know, I don't think, you know, because I definitely it's not my set, you know what I mean? That's the thing. Yeah, you know, yeah, but as long like, as it, yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, you can run Rob sets finishes, differently, but you he know. finishes like his shoot days sometimes in like six hours. And for me, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I yeah, want we we motor on my sets. We fucking yeah. move. Sometimes I need like <laughs> yeah. yeah we did 18 the last shoot that we did for sex like pizza we shot 18 pages in eight hours flat Jesus and <laughs> we just shot them so fast but yeah but that's neither here nor there but anyway this week's resource y'all got some homework as yes. professor tuxford and her wayward negro have concocted a youtube playlist on the okay, subject... Can we not say my wayward Negro? You're your own person. <laughs> and in fact, I don't even feel comfortable saying that word. Okay, so <laughs> we've concocted a, a YouTube playlist of videos on the subject of the second draft. As we've stated time and time again in this very podcast, the second act of your movie is the movie. So the more information you have on forming your choices as a writer, at least in terms of characters and structure, can only help you in the battle versus the dreaded second act. And that is our show. Screenwriting from the trenches can currently be found on Amazon, Anchor, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and Spotify podcasts, as well as KevinLMartin.com. Our screenwriting Twitter drama theme song was written by Zach Morrison and used with his permission. And hey, we appreciate it if you liked or, you know, rated us five stars on whatever platform that you patronize because... Algorithms. For questions for us that we can and will answer on the show, please email us at rob at bmofo.net. We are starting to get a lot of press requests and stuff like that. So I guess you can toss those this way. And, you know, if they work for the show, we're going to, we'll take them. If not, then I'm, I apologize. We can't have them on the show. You can also find us on Twitter. I am at Respectable Mofo. I'm at K underscore Tux. Zach is at Zach Morrison 18. And these things, as well as my YouTube channel series, where the Cinema Challenge series, this week we've got a video detailing 
uh, of an app on your phone called Dual Take or Double Take. Oh. It's done by the folks who did Filmic Pro. Yes. And it allows you to basically use two of your cameras at the same time, which is how we shot 18 pages. <laughs> so basically you turn your shoot into a multi-cam. That's right, Kate Tuxford. Oh. Being able to shoot the long shot and the close-up shot in the same frame, like at the same time, will save you a ton of time. And you can do that now on your phone. And that video will be up on Monday. And the continuity, so, your editor must love you. Love it. So thanks so much for listening. We hope that you will continue to do so. Now, stop procrastinating. Those pages aren't going to write themselves. Mm -hmm.